he walked through the shop one day and he was like, mate, can we put this leaf rake online? Put it online, sell it. And I was like, shit, dad, I don't know how to sell anything online. Like, what do you mean? I mean, it's not sexy, is it? It's not the sexiest industry. Everyone has their fuck-ups. We've had some monumental ones ourselves. You can't cut corners. Yes, to delegating, absolutely, and scaling and growing the business, but get your hands dirty first. You either get with the times or get out. Welcome to Add to Cart, the podcast that Express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of e-commerce. Every month, Nathan Bush from 12 High and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and e-commerce strategist at 12 High. My guest today is Tom and Nat Hinser from Mr. Poolman. That's Mr. Poolman, two words, pool and man. Don't screw it up like I did on our run sheets. These siblings, yes, siblings, working with your siblings, establishing a business with your siblings, these siblings have taken their dad's pool store and transformed it into an e-commerce powerhouse. They've disrupted a very, very slow-moving world of pool parts and accessories. Who knew this world was out there? They did and they smashed it. Decked out in their Shopify Plus hoodies, both Tom and Nat were incredibly open during this chat. We covered everything from how to split test your free shipping offers to how to manufacture your own product and the difficulties in qualifying for B Corp status. Make sure you stay right to the end where I ask them both about their biggest business fuck-ups. It's equally funny as it is enlightening. Oh, and in case you haven't guessed it, there's a big, big language warning on this one. So if you've got kitties in the car, kick them out and listen on your own. So let's get into it. Thanks to our partners at Shopify Plus. Here is our conversation with Nat and Tom Hintzer from Mr. Pullman. Natalie and Tom Hintzer from Mr. Pullman. Welcome to Add to Cart. Yo, what's up? Good to be here. Thanks, Bushy. How you going? Good, good. Thanks for joining us, guys. I'm, I'm really pumped about this conversation. We've been throwing these ideas around for a while now. We're excited. Yeah, we we have, man. We have. Let's uh, let's uh, make a splash, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the first pun. I love it. Yeah. Now, um, you you guys are, are, are founders of, of Mister Pool Man, and um, for anyone playing along at home, that's two words: uh, pool and man. Unlike me, who <laughs> made a monumental stuff up in calling it one word all the way Come through. On, <laughs> <laughs> Common mistake, but any professional podcaster would get it right. Um, <laughs> give us the elevator pitch on Mr. Poolman, guys. How did it come about and what do you guys do? What makes you different? Yeah, cool. So, uh, our father, he started a pool business about 25 years ago. Um, that's when he started with, uh, it was called Waterwise Pool Services at the time. So, he was just a, a single single man in a van, literally, uh, cruising around doing pools. Uh, he was quite successful in his own right. So, that was our father, Hardy. You know, you know, you know that sounds a little bit dodgy. A single man in a van doing pools. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it was white too. <laughs> <laughs> so he um, he started it, uh, built the business up to you know, a couple of hundred cl- uh, regular clients, uh, customers. Uh, I finished school and I became a carpenter, you know, a chippy, as an apprentice. And the first year sucked. Uh, the commute and I was on minimum wage, and I had a chat to dad. Did the whole. He's like, yeah, come work for me, kind of thing. So I did that. From there, we grew into uh, obviously both of us in a single van, uh, 
got a second van and then a shop. Uh, we opened the shop and then it was at that point where we kind of like broke into the retail side of things rather than just the backyard servicing. Uh, Natalie came on board with us when she finished school and that was at the point where we said, let's see if we can do something digital here. Uh, it was actually thanks to our father, Hardy, that he walked through the shop one day and obviously we're very seasonal and he was like, mate, can we put this leaf rake online? Put it online, sell it. And I was like, shit, Dad, I don't know how to sell anything online. Like, what do you mean? And uh, sure enough, we took a photo of it, put it on eBay. The next day it sold. Uh, we looked at each other and thought, oh, shit, what do we do now? So walked down to the post office, put it in a, pat- uh, a satchel, sent it off. And we've actually still got the receipt of our first customer back in 2014, I think it was now. Brilliant. Yeah, so from the shop, we um, we grew quite quickly. Uh we had we got a custom eBay store designed up in the UK, so the full HTML design. I think we're one of like three pool shops online at that point in, in Australia. Uh, Natalie then took control a lot more of the of the marketing aspect, and then we closed the shop. Uh, we found that the foot traffic and the retail, obviously, that's when it really started to shift quite quickly. Uh, in about 2014, was when we started to see a lot of growth on the on the digital side of things rather than the foot traffic. So mm. we closed the shop, opened the warehouse. Uh, and when you we- when you closed the shop, was the online bigger than the shop yeah. revenue? Yeah, the yeah. shop was just full of just boxes. Like we just had stock on hand and we didn't even have any room for customers to walk in the shop anymore. It was just full of boxes. And Natalie and I said to Dad, we're like, shit, Dad, we got to get out of here. Like this is – it's growing too quickly. And uh, so, yeah, we rolled it all up and then moved it all into a, a – I think we've got a 500-square warehouse at the moment, which is what we've been in for the last three years, but we're, we're filling it up pretty pretty quick now. Yeah, fantastic. And you're still on eBay? Still on eBay, uh, still on oh, all the marketplaces, but I, I reckon we could probably dive into that a little bit more down the track. But, yeah, no, definitely still on eBay now. Awesome. And is your dad still involved in the business? Yeah, he is. So he's taken – We've pretty much blown his mind apart with with online and digital. Uh, he was always like, "What do you mean you're selling this and shipping it to WA? Like you're crazy." But anyway, it's working, and so now he's very much uh, taking a step back of the business as we speak, uh, year by year. Um, he, he enjoys coming to work and just pottering around. We keep him busy. Um, he likes to think of himself as the the customer success person. He loves to have a chat with people on the phone about their pools, and we do get very enthusiastic customers about their pools. About you know, they take a lot of pride in it and that kind of stuff. And so we just pass it off to Dad, and here you go, mate. Have a have a have yeah. a conversation. It's like, it's like <laughs> have that like wise old owl input sometimes as well. Like sometimes you know you're faced with. Uh, like decisions and you obviously try and make the best one, but it's nice to have that soundboard that just has intuition based off their experience of just being around longer than us mm. in business. Yeah, that's awesome about that sounding board. And how do you guys get along? Brother, sister in a business, spending all that time together? Oh. Yeah. yeah, no, we're, we're actually sweet. Like we, we're, yeah, like typical thing, like, you know, we're, we're best friends, as what you commonly hear, which is pretty much the case with us. Like we, we get along well. Um, I'm 30. Uh, you're 20, 26. 26. So we're pretty, pretty closely aged. Mm. So a lot of our friends hang out as well. So in, in and out of work, like 
it's just it just works. Mm, and like we've yeah. always had friends say, "God, I could never work with my sibling, love them, but could never work with them." And Thomas and I, like, we've had our hurdles. We've really had to, you know, work on our communication with each other. Mm. Like, not only as brother and sister and best friends, but then also separate business and what's best for Mister Pullman as well. Mm. Um, and then growing those leadership skills with each other too, mm. because as you know, it comes down from the top. Mm. So if Thomas and I aren't communicating, everything else is just going to fall to shit. So mm. there's been a lot of challenges, mm. but we've overcome them all. So mm. I, th- I think too that yeah, what's also cool is like because we're brother and sister, it's a very much a, like a no bullshit kind of approach mm. and we've got full 100% trust in each other where, mm. and this isn't against anyone in, in, a, in a partnership, uh, you know, in a working environment, but like we know 100% that we're not going to fuck each other over. Mm. Um, like it's family kind of thing. So um Natalie could go off and do her own thing with work and I've got 100% trust in like she's doing the best thing for Mr. Pullman um, mm. and vice versa for myself. You yeah. know, like if I'm going on a work trip to China or mm. whatnot, Natalie's like, yep, sweet, go procure, make that procurement, get those products. That's sweet. It's not like, a, oh, what are you doing over there? I wanted to go do that. It's very much an even split. So exactly. it works well. And we don't just assume either. We communicate. <laughs> we always communicate. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Actually, and something funny that always comes up, whenever we go to, a, say, a conference or a seminar or a dinner, we always get like, oh, you know, oh, you guys are you guys are uh, married or you know what? <laughs> and we're like, oh, fuck. Oh, it like, gets strange <laughs> now, and they're like, Hinsa. They're like, oh, is this your wife? And I'm like, no, brother, I'm single. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we always have to hit it on the head first up, or we introduce each other. Oh, this is Natalie, my sister, and they're like, oh, right, okay, <laughs> got it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right, and and tell us about how big Mister Pullman is now. Tell us what whatever you can, obviously, but growing from that single physical store and what you guys have grown it into now because it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've what we've done like at the moment. So we've got over one hundred fifty thousand customers um, across Australia and quite a few actually international. Uh, this year was meant to be our international expansion, but. Uh, you know, the whole world got a cold, so um, so that kind of hit that one on the head. Uh, but no, we um, we've got a team where we are. Natalie also manages a digital team externally. All of our um, agencies and different marketing channels are digital and external. In the warehouse, I've got four guys in there uh, myself at the moment, and that scales with seasonality uh, as we're quite seasonal with summer and winter. So in in winter we kind of cut it back. Um, in summer we put on a couple of casuals, uh, and we you know, obviously pick the best of the best to stay on full time and, and, and work them up into, you know, some sort of a, a leadership role. Mm. So that's kind of the, 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 the main size of it. Yeah, and not that we don't respect our competitors and the territory, but we'd like to say that with our innovation and forward thinking, we are a, you know, not the number one, but a very aggressive competitor yeah, in the space. Yeah, top top three or four yeah. in Australia, I'd, I'd call it, like yeah. respectfully to our competitors as well. Um mm. Uh, some of them have been around a little bit longer than what we have, so we're very much the underdog, but we're we're hungry for it. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about some of that innovation. What are the things that you've done to take a pool supplies business and make it innovative and make it stand out against your competitors? Oh, I mean, it's not sexy, is it? It's not. <laughs> it's not the sexiest industry. Um, and the more we got into it, the more that we noticed that a lot of the people in the industry are dad's age, and that's no disrespect to them and where they've come from, but just the space that Thomas and I are in daily, what we listen to, what we see, um, the brands that we surround ourselves with, we do come to the space with fresh eyes and a fresh way of thinking. 
So we like to see a problem with the industry or the market and reverse engineer it and put it into action to make our consumers' life easier. And I just think that differentiates us from the way that our competitors do things, which is a little bit more old school, not Mm. as agile, Mm. not as scalable to Mm. grow. Mm. Mm. It kind of feels like that if you go onto your website and and the thing that I first noticed was that um, you have free uh, shipping Australia-wide for all purchases, not over a threshold, and you've also got a 60-day return policy. I could imagine that that has to be baked into the business model rather than added on, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. That's only changed recently yeah. with with the shipping. We we definitely we definitely AB tested the shit out of that. Like <laughs> it was something that we that we toyed with. So originally, for the first couple of years that we were online, we just shipped everything free, um, and that was probably a little bit of my mistake from the operational side of things. I didn't know our costings, so like we we're trying to be price competitive on some high ticket items like pool pumps, pool cleaners, that kind of stuff, which are heavy and bulky. Uh, and we're trying to be competitive on price and offer free shipping is just dangerous. Like it's, it's a, it's a bad business model, which we learned the hard way. So we, we revamped all that. Uh, we definitely now, uh, tested different shipping brackets. So orders over 50 bucks, it was four nine, no, orders under 50 was 495. Um, orders over 50 bucks was free unless it was bulky. So then on our product page, we had the pro- bulky products tagged with a bulky, you know, hey, this might incur a shipping charge. Mm. But it just kind of, even from a costings, put all the price and in, in the, in the revenue aspect away from it, like the user experience and also our internal experience with staff, trying to explain to staff what's bulky, what's not bulky. When someone calls up, they're like, is that free shipping? Where do you live? Oh, regional Victoria. Mm. Yeah, look, I'll have to check. It's just all too much. It's mm. just like, fuck. You them, and you get them over the line. They're at checkout and then they abandon it, mm. you know, and yeah. you're like, fuck, and you weigh it up. So, yeah. yeah. So, we, yeah. So, we baked it in. Um, and recently, like, we've only just gone back live with free shipping. Um, and we've also reflected that through our terms and conditions and stuff like that and giving, giving people, like, explaining to them why we're, we're doing free shipping. And it's just been so much better for us. Like our our AOV's gone up, our conversion rate's gone up. Our abandons are next to nothing because when you think about it, we're a needs, not a wants business. Mm. They are coming to us because something is broken on their pool and they need a replacement. So there's really no reason for them to abandon. The only reason they'll abandon is if they haven't, you know, if there's friction or they haven't been given the information or the price that they need. And that's where 60 day returns comes in as well. Just that added value proposition. Mm. If people return products to us, it's really our fault because they haven't been supplied with the information that they needed to make the correct purchase. So the 1% of returns that we do receive, that's why we offer 60 day just for that trust with our consumers. We almost use it as a, as a feedback loop. What mm. went wrong for them having to return this? Mm. 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 That's a really wa- interesting way of looking at it, hey, because a lot of retailers only look at uh, faulty returns as their own fault, uh, faulty products as their own fault, whereas you're going, actually, any return that comes back, it just didn't meet the customer's expectations. So 100%. that fault was, but that, it's a great yeah. way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. And even if it's, like I say, a technical product, if they've purchased a technical product that hasn't suited their application, then we then we break it down even further and look at it more from how can we build a system or a process out of that so mm. our customer service staff know how to correctly size that product or we build out a size chart for that application, whether it be a pool pump with flow rates or a cartridge filter with filtration area and build out a system so it doesn't happen again. Um, and we all we build out more content. We'll do a YouTube video on how to use that product where this product is best suited to, or even do just a product review video where we talk about that product and, and maybe pull out some key features of it. 
to highlight those kind of friction points and so people don't make that same mistake again. Yeah. What does that customer feedback loop look like? Because I can imagine you're getting customer feedback because you're across a whole bunch of social channels, you've got the the re- reviews, you've got a lot of, lot of inputs there, right? How do you prioritise what's important and what you can change? At the moment, it tends to just come from mine and Thomas's idea of mm. what is what is regularly being asked all the time mm. um, because we are still so much over our customer service and our returns mm. um, and we work so closely with those teams still. Mm. Um, Thomas is in the process of creating a help docs though, which actually houses our most frequently asked issues or questions that we get. So awesome. it's almost as while Thomas is creating that, he's thinking, oh, shit, this actually is an issue. This maybe should be solved on the website rather than just answered as a question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we've got we've got a, a small team of customer service guys that that help out, uh, but I very much am across the majority of it, like watching their responses, mm-hmm. looking at their tickets, the response times, um, and then yeah, building out like Nat said, any sort of FAQs or a, a information knowledge base about that particular product or that question that gets asked frequently. Um, and we're now only probably in the next couple of months going to be start uh, baking that into like a, we've got a chat, but baking it into the chat widget as an FAQs that pops up rather than them going straight away into chat. Awesome. They can then go through the FAQs. So mm. that's, that's you know, benefit. Mm. But just really it's like it pays to, because, you know, as unsexy as customer service is mm. and as much as you just want to develop the business and the brand and have the creative stuff um, or even like, you know, the operation side of it, like that's fun as well. It's just being down in with the customers mm. and you really just get that gut instinct on, oh, this is a popular question. Um, like even the more you grow, it's important to go back into customer service every here and now and then, isn't it? Yeah, and I can imagine that as founders of such a fast-growing business, there's so much stuff that you can look out on and go, we can do, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. But actually having the discipline to stop and put processes around what you've already done to help the rest of the team behind you is a really smart move. Like it often gets lost in businesses uh, of the size of, of yours, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And that's what we've now weighed up whether like rather than continually putting on new staff or more staff to, to handle inquiries, it's like, okay, how can we build a system? How can we build a procedure to make this work uh, and work better? So, like, we've also got an internal, like a staff wiki that I call it. So, from an internal point of view, you know, how to do a refund, how to how to create an order, all the questions that we've got from an operational point of view. Uh, so, the guys downstairs in the warehouse, if I'm not there, if I'm not available, or they can just help themselves, they can go to the wiki and literally type in how to create a product, how to you know, return a faulty product to the supplier. And then we've got a front-facing help doc uh, for our customers, which is a more like website-based questions. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Now, your social plays a, a really important role from what I can see, and I love looking through your socials because they're all so different, right? So, for me, and tell me if I'm wrong, Nat, um, your Facebook is very much your how-to, your, you know, your articles and pieces like that. Insta is just inspiration, just amazing pools all around the world. Um YouTube, more of your education. Um, is that in, in a time when a lot of people say you really need consistency over your social media, is that a, a strategy of yours to kind of go, actually, no, this channel's for this, this channel's for this, and they actually don't need to align perfectly? Look, not intentional. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> not not intentional of the way that it's a strategy to specifically change it up per channel. 
The way that our socials look now, they're not aligned. This is literally a visual representation of head of marketing wearing 10 different hats at any one time. As you grow the business, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that. I think our initial outlook on socials was we really want to help the customer. We really want to educate the customer on that was a massive gap in the pool market. They were always getting taken for a ride by the local pool shop. Let's get it out there with free information. Then we kind of realized that the consumers, as much as you have your DIY moms and dads that love it, some of them just want to be a part of a community. And then when it comes down to it, they just want the job done for them. So that's why we're kind of moving our content model, not away from education, but around creating a fun community, user-generated content as well. And that's what you're more seeing on our Instagram, right? Your inspirational pools. Um, so we're kind of just throwing heaps of pickles at the wall at the moment and seeing what sticks to be, to yeah. be completely fair with socials. Yeah. And tell us about those customers because I could imagine that you have such a wide range, right? We used to, um, at, at somewhere I used to work, is used to have the DIY segment and then a DIFM, which was a do-it-for-me segment, and then yeah. it kind of kept evolving. So you're always talking to different people, right? And, I, and you just alluded to it. You're kind of in a similar boat there. Mm, yeah, a hundred percent. And that's where, you know, at first we just started off with, you know, cause you build up your personas, don't you? With the data mm. that you know and, um, the, the information that's provided to you. And we started off with, okay, we're talking to 35 to 55 year old mums and dads. Okay. There's a lot of younger homeowners these days. We're also talking to your 20 to your 30 homeowners that own a pool sort of thing. Um, okay. You're talking to your people that want to do it themselves, take pride in their pool, talk about it with their neighbors. You know, they really like to be given the information. There's the people, there's a hole of water in my backyard. Do it for me. I just want to swim in it and that's all. So then you kind of have four real specific groups. And that's what we're actually starting to work on at the moment is the segmentation, is the speaking to the different groups in the way that you should. Um, so that's still, I wouldn't say grey, but learning in process. Yeah. And when you start bringing those groups apart and looking at them as four individual groups, what kind of data are you really leaning upon there as a starting point? Yeah. So, I mean, with the data, we're kind of, well, we're reversing back to the customers that we already have that are engaged with us. So, rather than prospecting, we're focusing on farming. We're focusing on, okay, they're warm, they're familiar with the brand. What did they buy from us? What did, what was their first transaction? How long before they came back for their second transaction? And then what did they buy? Like, how were they testing the waters with Mr. Poolman? So we can be proactive rather than reactive in helping them when they land on our socials, on our website, in our email flows. So it's kind of, I'd say, buyer purchase data at the moment, anywhere from, you know, the likes of Glue, GA, just quite simple platforms Mm -hmm. because... Analysis paralysis is a big thing with data, isn't it? When you just put with a sea of data and you don't know where to start. Absolutely massive. And, and I think you that's the right approach is to use the customers that you've already got and understand what the patterns are and, and the lifestyles that you can get out of the, your existing customers and then try and expand on those, right? Yeah. Online retail is changing rapidly and it might never slow down. So when retail changes... You change retail. Sell at the speed of change with Shopify Plus and grow with demand, on demand, using a platform that can handle up to 10,000 transactions per minute. For bigger business at startup speed, visit 
shopify.com.au slash plus. That's shopify.com.au slash plus. Because the future belongs to the fast. In terms of your marketing channels, what's working really well for you at the moment from a conversion perspective? Look, it's paid Google. Mm. Um, we, because we kind of did it backwards, didn't we? Not that there's no correct way, but we noticed that there was a huge uh, section to disrupt on Google purely because it was kind of the age old, all of our competitors were on it. But again, we just bought that fresh edge with fresh business insights to be able to apply that quite quickly. So that is our biggest driver. Second is email, making up, you know, anywhere from 20 to in our peak 40% of our overall revenue. That has a lot of effort, a lot of automated flows, a lot of, you know, really great segmented campaigns as well. Um, I'd say our flows, our automations are, you know, 70% of the driver there. And it's um, only just getting started. You've only been working on that for 12 months. A hundred percent. Like, cause we're the reasonably newer agency now and, um, they think the same way we do again, throwing pickles at the wall, seeing what sticks. And lastly, SEO. Mm. Holy shit. Like just such a massive space for disruption there. Yeah. And our blogs are ranking so high. Like, well, I think well, what we do with SEO is a little bit different is we try and use obviously blogs, but more like, like again, a, a very more detailed help doc, like rather than an FAQs that we'd get on like a chat that pops up. It's a very in-depth how to, how to do this, how to do that around your pool. It's for those homeowners or pool owners that want to learn how to do their maintenance or mm. fix their pump, clean their filter, that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, so we've actually we've got a full-time copywriter that is just churning out blogs for our SEO guys and they love it. They just think it's unreal. Tell me a little bit more and we'll then we'll move on from marketing, but a little bit more about email because I can imagine that if you find someone who buys with you that also has a pool, there's a bit of a gold mine there over many years, right? Yeah. What are the, some of the, what are some of the top flows that you find have really converted for you? Look, I think when we realized that we were a need rather than a wants, we really started to double down on replenishments because our historical data, it sways and it pivots with trends, but predominantly it stays pretty true. So you can pretty much predict when they're going to be needing their next spare part, complete setup or chemicals. Our post-purchase series has been massive for us. So, of course, you've got your your browsing cart abandonments. They're always going to be your best drivers. You've got a great welcome series, really making them feel a part of the family, of course, creating that connection. But then you've got a post-purchase. And with some basic business insights, you can predict that if they come in with a small ticket purchase, within 30 days, they're testing the waters, within 30 days, they're going to come back and purchase what they really need from you. So you really should be there ready for when they're ready to come back and make another purchase from you now that they trust you. Okay, they've purchased that. Do they need this in 47 days? They might need it again in 150 days. You know what I mean? Like, don't be afraid to continually stay in touch with them without annoying them. That's the sweet spot because then they'll just unsubscribe and you lose them all together. Yeah. And, and it's not like you guys have data scientists or machine learning algorithms telling you all of this, right? It's, it's literally you going in there and trying to pick the patterns. Look, I think some really exciting things that have come from it again, and it just comes with progression. Initially, it just started with us trying to pick apart the data the best that we could. Then we brought in a fantastic agency, which picks apart the data even better than us, and we can collaborate with them. Then 
you know, Mr. Pullman, we are working with a data scientist at the moment to pilot a beta platform, uh, similar to Glue, but a different type of business insight. Mm-hmm. And it's just been in this space and sparking those conversations. Great things can happen. So yep. we just, the more we progress, the more information we have available to us to make those quality decisions. We can't leave the conversation without talking about the uh, the cough that the world got, according to you, Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, world, the world cold. The world cold. So um, I shouldn't laugh because I've got a cold at the moment. I had to get one of the tests yesterday. Ooh. It was just horrible. Um, I'm fine. We're doing it remotely. Yeah. Sneezing and you're farting. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I had to cancel all my lunches and everything. I, want, I don't want to be that guy in the restaurant. Yeah. COVID hit around February, and I could imagine you guys as a summer business. Was that kind of perfect timing for you? If it, if it had to happen, end of summer, was that good timing? Yeah, yes and no. Like we, and this is a question that everyone asks us purely because we're in the pool industry. Was like, you know, have you guys been affected? Rah, rah. But it's kind of we're trying to measure whether it was just a seasonal decline, which we do have every year. Like we we never we never plateau, we never stay flat through winter. It always declines. Um, so we're trying to figure out whether it was actually a seasonal decline. But then we did have actually a raise in sales um, when people started going to lockdown. Like they still needed stuff for their pool. This is the this is the glory of pools. Like they don't they don't get sick. So they still need chemicals. They still need the consumables, which we were getting out to them as quickly as possible. We had a little bit of a supply uh, issue at first when obviously when actually China shut down. A lot of our obviously a lot of our products, a lot of our manufacturers and suppliers come from China. So there was an initial a little bit of a worry period there, just about supply and demand. Um, but that all came good. But yeah, to answer the question, I don't think it was. It's obviously never ideal, but it didn't. It didn't impact us to a point where we thought we were going to go under. No, we we did. Um, we did have to, you know, negotiate uh, with our staff about work hours, that kind of stuff, um, and just try and fit in. Uh, we moved some of them working from home. The guys in the warehouse came in as required just to get the orders done, um, and then we're, we're out. Uh, so it was it was a whole different business strategy um, that as same as the world has never been faced with. Um, mm. We kind of just thought on our feet and tried to make things work as effectively and efficiently as possible mm. uh, and relaying that to our customers the whole way through that, hey, yeah, you look, you've placed an order. It might be an extra couple of days. The borders are closed. There might be an extra couple of days mm. delivery. Um, and obviously working with all our carriers, Australia Post and, you know, the couriers to, to also negotiate mm. and, and, and mitigate those risks. Mm. Then could I say that was our strength as well? Like, you know, we kind of, in a way, felt bad with how well we were able to pivot. pivot. That meme that was going around with Ross from Friends moving the couch around the corner, pivot, pivot, <laughs> like every business was feeling like. Mm. But we'd worked hard to create mm. that flexible structure to mm. be able to pivot and be flexible quite quickly to changes. Um, so like Thomas said, with operations, we managed to get it under wraps quite quickly. And mm. in terms of marketing, our first time consumers were up 60% you know That's and huge. but then there's an there's the added pressure of well what are you going to do with that increased traffic so obviously online is our strength great you're getting traffic in their first time what are you going to do with all these new consumers like you'd want to hope that you've got things in place to be able to capture that new audience mm. so i think we're all in the same boat with how quickly can you adapt mm. in terms of your channel sales channels you've got the, obviously the website is a direct to direct to consumer and you're still on your marketplaces did you notice any difference in direct-to-consumer versus marketplace behaviour over that time? Yeah, I think we we definitely saw or we saw marketplaces increase because I think also marketplaces were doing a lot of 
marketing themselves, uh, advertising mm-hmm. that they are the place to go for shopping during COVID, that kind of stuff. So, look, our, our product assortment actually varies between marketplaces and our website. So, we've got obviously all of our products on our website, but we have a refined product assortment on our marketplaces purely for the fact like you know, that they, they're happy to take a clip on on the sales. Um, so we don't have a lot of high-ticket uh, products on there or high-value products, uh, especially like some more of the technical items. We like to ensure the customer comes through our funnel purely from a not even a revenue point of view, from a, a customer service point or customer experience point of view, but also knowing or making sure they buy the right product for their application. Obviously, marketplaces are great if you know what you want and you're price-driven because you'll find it on there. But if you don't know what you want or you need some advice, you don't go through eBay or Kogan to, to find mm. out that technical specs of, of suiting to your application. It's just a, it's a long-winded way to mm. go. So, so to answer your question, then we did notice an increase in D2C through our website, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, across all channels, but it was a different kind of inquiry. Like yeah, through our website, yeah, it was more technical because that's the way we're trying to bring them through is more mm. technical, where marketplaces was more just this is what I need, get it to me kind of thing, just replacement yeah. parts. So, guys, as relatively young founders, well, this is probably the most impo- exciting question for me and, and one we throw around. What's been your biggest fuck-up that you've made Ooh. with Mr. Pullman <laughs> and that you've Ooh. learned from and that you'd like to share with everyone? Ooh, that's Cutting still, that's, corners. That's, that's still a sore point, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Obviously, everyone everyone has their fuck ups. Um, we've had some monumental ones ourselves. Um, from from me buying too much stock um, and having to return it to suppliers. Uh, so what, that was literally actually, literally send it back. Yeah, like literally, it was a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And um, lucky they were Australian. It yeah, wasn't China. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Chinese. And uh, <laughs> that was my first one that I made. Um, probably a couple of years ago, and uh, Dad actually made me do that all on my own bat. So. Um, he, I had to make the call, call the national sales manager and be like, mate, uh, I fucked up. This is what I've done. This is what I need to do. And they were actually quite receiving of it because I, I did it in a timely manner before the bill was due and they could see that it was genuine um, and they were actually quite surprised at the order I placed at the time as well. Uh, so, <laughs> so I hired a truck and I drove all the stock back, uh, <laughs> dropped, dropped it off. And, you know, in, in, in marketing, we've all run a campaign which you thought you were doing, you know, overall 500% budget, but it was actually per day $500 budget. Um, we've all done that before accidentally and then all of a sudden you got a $5,000 bill for this um social campaign you're like what i thought it was a 500 dollars budget on that and thomas looks at it and goes ah that was daily <laughs> yeah yeah so i think everyone's kind of made that one hey yeah yeah, yeah. so that was probably our first two bit like, yeah first two and then like the, i think the biggest one of, of of recent was more we didn't know our numbers um as a business uh as nothing i wear all the hats from accounting and you know stock management marketing hr all of that we we're all growing at like we're trying to grow at the same level and we didn't know our numbers based on marketing based on inventory based on margin so we've spent literally the last 16 months getting those numbers down pat previously to that we weren't we weren't well we were we were going backwards for some time um, and we couldn't figure out why mm. uh, and it was because we didn't know our numbers we didn't know mm. um, the true cost of goods sold that kind of stuff so it, it was literally to the point where we had to just stop everything stop the bleeding uh stop the marketing spend stop buying stock stop selling like we just there was a period there for about six weeks where we literally put the business on pause uh this is before we got to the size that we were thankfully 
Mm. And we didn't know our numbers and we, we got to learn them, got to learn them really quick uh, and we've been uh, improving them now literally month on month. We sit down, we have a monthly audit as such. I, I go over prof, uh, profit margins, stock on hand, stock turns, days to supply, like you know, mm-hmm. trying to get all these metrics down pat. And we've also looked at various platforms like Google, Glue, data analytics and studios and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, no one's going to help you except yourself. Like unless you sit down and just get your head around it, nobody's going to come in and show you the right way. So that was our biggest fuck up was growing broke. Yeah. Um, but we'll thankfully able to grab it in time. Yeah. And like, you know, we learned from that. We'll never do that again, will we? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's all, it's the unsexy part. Everyone always talks about mm. revenue revenue like how much money you're turning over and in essence that is the last figure that you look at there's so many building blocks that come up to build that revenue house and if your structure's shaky your revenue is just not going to be there for long is it because mm. you know sooner or later you'll find yourself breaking even hopefully but even going backwards in mm. worst case scenarios um i mean just getting down to that unsexy stuff to mm. actually get a good understanding. But the interesting thing is once you start getting to know it, it gets interesting. It's not like, as daunting. I'm really enjoying it now. Like I enjoy the thought of every month putting together a report, you know, for all of us at work. Going, hey, look, guys, this is what our margin's at. And we have now like increased our margin exponentially to meet these needs, uh, the growing business and mm. and doing all that. So it's, it's great. And, you know, I've also – being able to establish a good rapport with our suppliers because when we did fuck up, I did have to say to them, hey, guys, I've got to pay this account down over time. I don't have the money for this right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been able to prove ourselves to them as well that, yeah, these young kids, hey, they're fucked up, but they've stuck to their word. We've made a payment plan. We've paid our bills. We've done everything on time, in schedule, and, like, you mm. know, it's, it's it's all fixed itself back up. Mm. And I'd say I'd just add on to that one more thing too. So, like, fuck-ups is, yeah, not knowing your accounts, like, re- like really your accounts mm. as well, like not only your operations but with your marketing teams as well. What are you getting as a return on your spend? Like, it's not all just fluffy creative stuff. But also expecting people to give a fuck as much as you do. Mm. And I say that with love and respect I say that because especially if you are working with external agencies, you are naive to think that, you know, they don't have anyone else on in their day. And if you don't come to them with that structure, corners will be cut. And that is your responsibility as a manager of those teams. And I'd say our biggest fuck up is thinking that we can cut corners. Mm -hmm. So thinking we can get other people to grow facets of the business the way that we'd like to see them grow without us first understanding the language to be able to communicate with that team effectively. Um, you just, you can't cut corners. Mm. It just, it comes back and yes, to delegating absolutely and scaling and growing the business, but get your hands dirty first. Mm. Yeah. That's such great advice. Such great advice. Um, I love everything there. So there was so much. I didn't want to interrupt because you guys were on such a roll there. If I, if I knew, if I knew, I should have just opened the podcast and said, "Tell us your fuck ups." We could have had a whole episode of you guys just talking and giving like this golden advice. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do an episode too. <laughs> um, but on the metrics one, I was just going to say, if anyone's really interested in diving a little bit further into that, uh, the episode early on in Adcart with Jason Andrew is really great. He talks a lot around how to go through profitability rather than revenue um, as a vanity metric. So, um, Jason, so- my man, shout out to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolute legend. Legend in the e-com accounting space. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, what is next for Mr. Pullman? I know you've got a lot going on. You mentioned before international, um, but I know that's only part of it. What else is on your radar? I think um, I'll cover off the operations kind of side of things. We, I'm trying to now have a bit of a shift with our procurement, with our products, um, obviously to Australian made where we can. Um, we're finding that there's a big call for people that want to buy Australian, understandably so. Um, so I'm trying to work with a number of manufacturers here in Australia to get products and equipment here as uh, uh, procured locally. So that's obviously Water Technics. Uh, that's our own brand, Water Technics, which we started. Um, so that's uh, further developing that. Uh, we're covering just the basic products now with that brand, but I'd eventually would like to be able to sink more money into like R&D and bring out new products for the pool industry. So that's um, manufacturing, and- manufacturing from China? Yeah, yeah, manufacturing yeah. from China, yeah, product, uh, cleaning products, parts, equipment. Basically, we started Water Technics uh, as a bit of a middle finger to our industry because our industry is, well, at the time, was so behind the eight ball, um, and they still are. They're against e-commerce um and again due respect to them if they're listening to this but they're trying to support the bricks and mortar pool shops which i think in traditional retail ways is understandable but these bricks and mortar pool shops um, around australia they've got no interest to be coming or to get online themselves they don't want to know about the internet so i don't understand why they're getting supported like you either get with the times or get out kind of thing like it's the, it's the revolution of the world it's not just us having a having a crack trying mm. to change industry mm. it's the way the world's going and you either adapt and evolve or yeah you get out so that was us they they put a lot of limitations on what we can or can't sell online with their products with their brand which you know that's their brand that's their product fine Natalie and I were then like well we need to become we need to fill this gap let's do our own product let's do our own brand so we came up with water techniques uh, went through the whole trademark, the IP, got all that sorted, um, and now we're we're slowly growing the assortment. So you know, cleaning equipment, leaf scoops, that kind of stuff, up to pool pu- uh, pool pumps. Mm, pretty much every category, basic coverage mm. from every, in every main pool category. Yeah, and then as I said, like we'd like to then do a little bit more R and D. So you know, we're, we're always going to have manufacturing or part of manufacturing in China. I don't think we're ever going to be able to get away from that. A lot of chemical manufacturing happens in China uh, just because of the costs associated over there are much cheaper than Australia and the the safety. Um, And then the other aspect of the business that I'd like to see uh, develop a little bit more in the future is more sustainability within Mr. Pullman. It's it's a big project, and I know there's a couple of other e-com businesses that we look up to that are part of B Corp, but we're going to look at a little bit more B Corp. Um, it's a bit of a process. Uh, it's not something you want to you need to rush. I've looked at the you know qualifications. Uh, so after summer, when we get a little bit quieter next year in winter, I'll probably try and further further push the sustainability, Mister Pullman. Also around our packaging, eco packaging. Uh, reusable stuff, um, all that kind of thing. Like at the moment, we're fully paperless in the workplace. So mm-hmm. our pick packing's all done uh, by scanners. There's no sort of pick slips uh, or invoices printed. Everything's done electronically. Uh, so that side of things is already covered. But we want to get more sustainable with the business. Choose a charity or a fund to support and do and, and drive that side of the business. Yeah. What do you think will be the hardest piece to change to hit B Corp status for your business? Fuck, that list is pretty extensive. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at it the other day. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll try and wrap this up before before summer's here. And I looked at it and I was like, nah, I'll fuck that. <laughs> 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 that's going on that's going on the background no i think i think it's a great i think it's a great organization and i want i really want to be part of it 
because I want the business to be sustainable. I want the business to be also reputable. And I think it's also a great point for customers to see that in a business as well, that we we actually care. We care about not only the environment, about our staff, our culture, um, the products that we're sourcing, the products that we're selling, how we're getting them to your door. So it's definitely something. But yeah, I know I actually appreciate that it is a hard process to go through because otherwise everyone would be on it and it'd lose its value. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, double-edged sword. Mm. Cool. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'd say, you know, with marketing, we've got your data-driven innovation. And what we mean by that is like we said at the start of the pod, listening to the consumers and walking and working backwards and also having those business insights resources and using them correctly to make the end consumer's life easier, which is what we're here for, of course. And then, of course, it comes full circle to us running a business. But then also personalization as well. Everyone's special these days, aren't they? And everyone knows they're being marketed to and a cookie cutter, one size fits all just doesn't cut it anymore. Whether that's an ad, whether that's a homepage, you really want to be proactive rather than reactive to the consumer. So just looking into the personalization side of things with consumers' journey with Mr. Pullman makes a difference. And when you talk personalization, are you coming at it from a technology or a content or an offer or product perspective? Yeah, or- coming all, I guess. I mean, at the moment, of course, we've been focusing on personalization through emails, definitely, um, through not only our campaigns, but our post-purchase flows. You want that to be personal and speak to the consumer, wow, they really know me. But also the website is what we're working on at the moment too. So they, just like your Amazons or your Netflix, uh, it updates to you, the more that it knows about you, YouTube, you know, it's it's already out there. So that's going to go live shortly, isn't it? Yeah. You, you've got your homepage going live. Correct. Yeah. Over the next two or three months, we've got that, we've got that heading and it was just meant to be a homepage redesign and now working personalization into it. So awesome. yeah, exciting that's, times. And that website, is that a Shopify website? Yes. Shopify plus Represent. <laughs> For anyone who can't see them, they're both rocking the Shopify Plus hoodies. Uh, we might yeah. take a photo and put it up on on the gram later. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. no, we lo- we love the we love the Plus community. Um, yeah. I think I think I've got everyone on on the Shopify Plus connected <laughs> on, on LinkedIn. <laughs> so no, I, I love the guys there, and shout out to our, our MSM Paul. So he does a good job keeping us aligned because sometimes we just kind of go off on a tangent. And he's like, "Fuck, God, hold on, like you're not Jim Shark. Let's just let's just rein it in." Yeah, but if if you have to if you have to listen to his bad bad dad jokes, then you know you're allowed to go off on tangents. Oh, you're familiar yeah. with Paul. <laughs> but yeah, no, we like we we froth like not only the platform and working on it, but just what they're about and the people. Yeah, yeah. especially even like the, all the Shopify Plus guys here. In Australia is unreal. Like if you're if you're a merchant thinking of signing up, if you're a merchant that is signed up, um, just the community in there as well. Like everyone's open to talking. Everyone's it's like they've got a no dickhead policy when they sign people up. I swear. Like it's it's that you're either a good fit or you're not. And if you're not, well, you won't know about any of the events that they do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so no, nah, it's good. No, nah, we love it. Awesome. And I can't let you go, Nat, without uh, giving a plug for your podcast that you've that you've had up and running. Tell us about that and the idea behind it. Yeah, I mean, so no FKN idea, no fucking idea. Originally, it started as mine and Thomas's podcast. We wanted to make it into a business podcast. We named it No Fucking Idea as a space to share our fuck-ups, essentially. Business got really busy. We kind of got got put on the back burner. And I said to Thomas, hey, 
look, I personally am just craving these really deep connections lately. Um, I kind of want to open the space up, but more as a personal podcast rather than so much business. Of course, Thomas was like, yeah, a hundred percent, like go for it. You know, we can mold it to any way, any way we want in the future. So anyway, I jumped on and we deal with so many cool people in the space. I thought it was really nice to be able to give them a place to talk as a person rather than just business and really get to know them. No FKN idea is the podcast if anyone wants to go online and check it out. It's um, very clear to me that you guys both have a, um, a relentless focus on customer and it's driven uh, a lot of the success that you um, have had already and, and are going to have in the future. And um, I think he's just such an inspiration for Australian entrepreneurs who are looking to start something of their own and um, growing into something massive. The way you've disrupted a whole industry um, is, is fantastic. So congratulations, guys, and thank you so much for sharing everything that you have today. Oh, thanks, Bushy. Thanks for having us, mate. It's unreal. Yeah, thanks, Bushy. Pleasure being here. Thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. Let me give you a little insight on Nat and Tom. So our phone call finishes and they immediately hang up. Usually guests stick around for a little bit longer to have a chat around how the conversation went and what they felt, but they immediately left and I was like, wow, they're pretty busy. They're onto it. But two seconds later, they call back and Tom calls and he says that he and Nat haven't moved. They want to discuss how the podcast went and what I'd recommend for them in how they best tell their story. That's never happened before. They weren't looking for praise. They were genuinely looking for how they can improve their storytelling and how they share what they tell the world about their business and their mistakes and their learning. And for me, this was a great insight on how Mr. Pullman has shifted the pool category. Tom and Nat are endlessly curious. You can even see on Nat's Instagram profile, it actually says endlessly curious. You can see the energy of them shift when we started talking about those fuck-ups. They don't see these as mistakes, but opportunities which has made them better. They share these fuck-ups with others, and in return, others open up about them. I love this mindset. Endlessly curious. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep adding to cart. <laughs>